Hi-ho, everybody out in Radio Land. This is Tom Cito, Disney animator, historian, and all-around wise guy. And you are listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, El John Goh and Dave Bossert. Alrighty, welcome in to yet another edition of Skull Rock Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Al John Doe. I am a musician, lifelong Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars and pop culture fan. And every week, my friend Dave and myself, we talk all things Disney and pop culture with never-before-heard stories, behind-the-scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, books, performances, and much, much more. And uh, you can email me, aljohn, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard. I'm an artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. In fact, Al John, uh, we got several lovely uh, emails and questions uh, sent to us this past week. And, and by the way, I can't even believe we're in into February already. I don't I mean, know. Where is this time going? <laughs> I mean, the, the holidays are are distant in the rearview mirror. My gosh. I know. know. And Christmas trees put up. Everything's ready. But although um, the country's getting into this another wave of cold snaps and freezing ice and snow that's going around. So wherever you are, as Dave said last week, and he says it every week, you be safe out there because it's crazy what's going on. Yeah, it, it, it is crazy. In fact, it's rather windy here in Southern California today, mm-hmm. uh, but it is a beautiful 60 plus degrees. Don't pour salt on the wound. Don't put I know, salt I don't want to, I don't want to rub it in too much for, <laughs> for you guys. Uh, but you know what, Al John, uh, we got a great show. Yes. Uh, we've got part two of our John Pomeroy interview, uh, which is really exciting. We, we've gotten some nice notes back from people people about last week's show. And, and I have to tell you, um, we got, I, I, I'm counting three, uh, different emails here. What? And I, yeah. And I want to read, I want to oh, read a couple of wait, these. Hold on, you. hold on. I made the sound what? effect for a reason. Okay. podcast <laughs> Answers your email. All right, Dave, you want to kick us off with, Boom. with a message? Yes. Uh, so uh, the first one here is from Michael, and he says, Dave and Al John, I love the podcast and listen intently to each and every episode. I also love the books that you do. Dave uh, have authored. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, after listening in this week's show, I do have a question. At one time, Tom Stagg seemed to be the destined replacement of Bob Iger when Bob finally stepped down what happened to tom did he get fired uh or excuse me tired of waiting or was he was he gently or not so gently encouraged to go elsewhere tom seemed to be cut from the same cloth as bob Iger. well you know something i think a lot of people thought that tom staggs was going to be the heir apparent um and uh as it turned out they're just uh didn't seem to be confidence uh, um, on the creative side uh, with Tom. That's my understanding. I'm only giving you my opinion. Uh, And uh, I think he decided to exit
it and go do something else because it was becoming clear that he didn't have the support to take the CEO position. Yeah. Um, that that's kind of where I, you know, I, that's the information I've gotten and what I've seen and talked to people. So, you know, these things happen, you know, the, every company has a deep bench of executives uh, and some are more qualified uh, than others. Uh, some have different skill sets than others. Uh, and it really is, uh, you know, becomes almost subjective, Al John. I think, you know, when you have a, a group of board of directors and, you know, uh, it is what it is. And let's face it, sometimes people uh, play, play these games of chess and sometimes you're able to win favor with one side and sometimes you're not. Yeah, and that's just the way it goes as the the lines are are getting drawn. But he was at one point after leaving Disney going to succeed uh, Les Moonves over there as CEO for CBS. Of course, that didn't pan out either uh, for him. No, no, but he's doing other things, and you know what? Everything happens for a reason. One door closes, another opens. Uh, you know, Tom Staggs was a talent talented executive at Disney, and you know. Um, we wish him the best. Uh, other than that, I can't tell you anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Well, right now he is a, uh, various company boards of directors. So he's, uh, doing very fine for himself. Oh, yeah. So yeah, he's, <laughs> Hey, let me, let me tell you something. He's, he's not hard up for any, any kind of work. I'll absolutely tell you that. not. Absolutely yeah. not. And he seems yeah. like a really nice guy, at least uh, when yeah. when he's presented at D23. He always seemed to be really good to the fans. So, so Michael, uh, Michael in Utah, I hope we answered your question. And we have another question from Michael in Utah. Mary Blair was known to have really bad eyesight. While listening to your discussion of her last week, I wondered if that contributed to the decline of her art in her final years. And, you know, I think there, there's a bit of a sad story there with, uh, with Mary Blair uh, because she did have a problem with drinking, with alcohol. And, uh, and I think that kind of, you know, exacerbated uh, health issues for her later in life. Uh, and I think she did, you know, she passed away rather young. Uh, but boy, she left behind an incredible body of work. Uh, and, uh, and that's, that's what we have to remember her for. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, uh, and, and what a great talent and in the parks, you know, the, so you've got the parks and all the great movies and films she's worked on. Right. Um, part of that modernism movement that was, you know, popular around that same time. So, mm. man, you know, just awesome stuff. So. Yes, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We've got another question, yeah, Dave, right? Th this one this one came to you, Al John. All right, here we go. So uh, Matt Mason says, hello, Dave and Al John. I was watching Destino on Disney Plus, and I was intrigued by a short from the combo of Walt Disney and Salvador Dali. As I'm watching, I'm wondering things like, how did these two come together? How did this project start? And why was it left unfinished for a time? And what went into finishing it? years later and then i saw in the beginning and big letters that dave bossert was involved yes the big boss was involved uh, i would love to see this as a podcast topic to explore and i imagine there's some fascinating stories and challenges that's all you both do awesome great work keep up the great work so thanks matt 
Yeah, thanks, Matt. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll. I think Al John and I, when this came in, we talked about maybe we'll just do a uh, an episode on Destino in in a month or so, uh, and mm-hmm. just uh, talk about it. Uh, as some of you may be aware, I I actually wrote the book on Destino. Uh, I was not only part of finishing the film forty six years after it, it began with with Walt Disney and and Salvador Dali and John Hench. Uh, but uh, we completed it in 2003 and then about a decade later, 2013 or so, um, I wrote the book about the whole project. So, nice, yeah. uh, so you know what, let's plan on doing something at the end of February, beginning of March, and uh, we'll, we'll do a whole podcast about Destino. We will mark that on the old calendar, if you will. And I do believe there's still some copies of Destino left out there. If you want to check it out, um, we can put a link on it uh, in the show notes. But, uh, man, there's so many great books coming out. And for those of you that missed last week's episode, Dave, did you want to let everybody in on your new book announcement? Well, well, yes, um, uh, we 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 did launch uh, a pre-order campaign on Indiegogo for my latest book which is The House of the Future, Walt Disney, MIT, and Monsanto's Vision of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can go to uh, the Indiegogo uh, campaign and you can pre-order. And there's other uh, interesting perks in there. So have a look and read it all over. And there's a little video. And uh, I hope you uh, take a moment to do that. And Al John, put a link into the show notes uh, for that as well. Yeah, absolutely. They've got, you know, it's great to follow Dave on Indiegogo because you have all kinds of stuff, um, you know, that, that are, that's coming up. So that's a great way to kind of, you know, follow what's going on. And once again, you're interested in the Claude Coates book. I suggest people go out there and and pick that up as well. You know, we don't talk enough about it because Dave, Dave's a a shy plug man. So I will be the one to plug it on his behalf. (laughs) Well, and I do appreciate that, but, but, you know, I I do want to let people know that the Claude Coates book was, was an overwhelming success leading into the holidays and the entire print run sold out. So there's a second print being done. And so those of you that didn't have a chance to get the book initially, it will be back in stock in a couple of months. That's why I think you should go look at the House of the Future book and lock in your pre-order now at the price that it's at and guarantee that you're going to get a copy and not you know, get in a situation where the print run is sold out again. Yeah, that, so that's they, great. There you have it. Absolutely. Go out there and check it out. Links in the show notes. And now, without any further ado. Skull Rock Podcast. Ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. Talk about return on investment, Dave. After years and years of sitting in a vault somewhere, Disney and IMAX take in 500k that's a lot for a one-day screening of the rooftop beatles concert footage they they used for get back i think this was the unabridged version that they showed at imax so so did they did they take the sort of the 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 section out of the um uh part three of the get back documentary that peter jackson uh, jackson did did they did they take that section and show the uh the complete unabridged uh concert on the rooftop at apple records in london yeah i think i think so it said that uh, the the let it be footage was shot or the footage was shot um 
in 16 millimeter, digitally restored and enhanced, of course, for the Get Back video. And uh, the film was screened Sunday, remastered again with proprietary IMAX technology that enabled the film to be fit on the wide screens. And I guess uh, I guess that's what they did is they showed the the concert. Um, you know, because I, I I mean I, I thought that was true. You know, I, I look when I first saw this, I was like, wait a second, did they just show an eight hour documentary in the IMAX theater? Boy, I hope they gave potty breaks for that. Oh you no, know? Uh, no, but but then on on further further look at that, it, it was just that rooftop concert footage, and mm-hmm. and so you know again, I, I you know this this is the place to see stuff like that is you know uh, on an IMAX screen, I think. I think that was a really cool thing too. Um, back in the day when they used to do the closed circuit broadcasts and the the different concert events and stuff to show in, in theaters that are so cinematic yeah. in their scope. You know, I would love to have seen like I can't have. Uh, well, every time you two had come into town, I never had an opportunity to see them. And I think I may have told this story on the, on the show before, but my wife ended up getting an opportunity to go see you two, and she knows that you two is one of my favorite bands of all time. And she's like, "Hun, I can't go to you two because you're not going to be with me." And I said, "Oh, that's sweet, but please go to you two. <laughs> Someone, oh, someone's got to go see you too. Okay, Kristen, don't go. I'll take the yeah, ticket. Yeah, no, I'll go. <laughs> no, no. I could. Well, you know, I, I couldn't go for work. I guess is what what it would boil down to. But, but I would have loved to see them in a theater. You know, if I had, if they were to do a, you know, a couple showings here and there, just you know, I, to just go. Um, but maybe, maybe this is another great thing for, for people to do. I mean, I can see, you know, an artist like a Beyonce or, a you know, or, a you know, Billie Eilish or someone like that, the magnitude or Foo Fighters to do a, a theater, uh, kind of live show and just show, show the concert and maybe Metallica or something like that. And they could just have a, a grand old time doing it. You know, hey, I'd love to see the Rolling Stones do that. Uh, you know, 100%. I, I, I went to the Rolling Stones 50th concert uh, at, at Staples Center. It was fantastic. I had great seats, but I'll tell you what, you know, those guys could do a uh, concert from one venue you know, like a beacon theater, like they did with Scorsese in New York city. Uh, they could do one concert and broadcast it live around the world. 100%. You know, I think that would be incredible. Um, and and I do have a U2 story. Do you want to hear it? Oh, I'd love to hear it. So, um, I lived over in Ireland with Nancy briefly. We were in Dublin Mm -hmm. and it was August, 1987, the Joshua Tree album. Oh my, like the best. And we went and saw U2 in Cork, Ireland. What? In the stadium, in the stadium, outdoor stadium in Cork, Ireland. Oh. And and this is this is the lineup, Al John. Okay. It was a local band from Cork called the Subterraneans, followed by the Dubliners. Uh-huh. Followed by UB40. Wow. And then the headliners, U2, who put on like a three hour concert. It was it was unbelievable. They they covered some Beatles songs. They did all of their music from uh, Joshua Tree and previous albums. And they did encore after encore after encore. In fact, that we decided to book it out of the stadium, uh, like after the second uh, encore, and we grabbed a taxi and went 
our hotel was on the other side of the river from the stadium. Mm-hmm. We got back to the hotel and we opened up our windows uh, of our room facing the stadium mm-hmm. and listened to a couple of more uh uh, encores. That's amazing. Uh, from you our could, hotel room. And you could hear it like, Oh like my the, God. It was unbelievable. Oh. It was on, it was unbelievable. It was one of the most memorable concerts. And I actually still have the ticket stubs from oh. that concert. Uh, and they're in English and Gaelic. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's my U2 story. That I is love an that awesome band. story. I, I love the band. They're, they're fantastic. Well, I, I love U2 as well. And I would have loved to, you know, I, I'm a big fan. I know fan. you love me. I know you love me. I do. I'm a big fan of you. <laughs> you know that. You know, I'm a big fan of you, Dave. I got nothing but love for you. And I got nothing but love for you, too, as well. So that's great. We, uh, we, can, we all trade stories at some point. Some, yeah. At one point, we'll talk about our favorite concerts we've ever been to. But let's talk about this. I know, Dave, that you, well, I think people know how much of a horror movie fan I am. Yeah. Right. But you recently saw Scream. I did the sequel to scream and uh, you gave it a good thumbs up. Did you not? You liked it. It was decent. Yeah, no, you know something, listen, I have very diverse tastes when it comes to entertainment. I, I can see pretty much anything The the horror genre, you know, the slasher kind of film uh, thing is kind of low on the list for me. Uh, I don't go to them that often, although I'm a fan of the original Halloween movie with Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't, I may have seen one of the other scream movies a few, years back i don't remember but i did go see this because it was kind of like i was looking at what i wanted to see in the theater a couple of weeks ago and there, there was slim pickings because i had seen most of the stuff that was already playing and so scream was there and i was like okay i'll go see scream why not you know because yeah. i like going to the movies yeah that's right well apparently you and a lot of people enjoyed that movie so much that it's gotten a green light for another sequel from spyglass and paramount just the other day as we record this, uh, the fifth installment released last month earned more than $100 million globally, which is pretty darn respectable in this day and age. So sure. uh, once again, great stuff there. And it looks like they're going to be getting some of the original people back involved with this film, including Kevin Williamson, uh, which is great. Of Good. course, well, Kevin Williamson, original screenwriter um, and, uh, and, and, and is, Cor- Courtney, is Courtney Cox coming back? Uh, didn't say there per se. But uh, there's, I mean, since I didn't see the movie, I can't spoil, I don't know. uh, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I plan on seeing it over the weekend, but I'm hoping that. uh, Maybe they can resurrect David Arquette. Oh, you just spoiled it. You. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said anything. That's I'm sorry. Right. Spoiler alert. That's all right. That's all right, Dewey. That's all right, Dewey. It's okay, Dewey. Uh, you know, maybe they'll find a time machine and go back and, and, and resurrect you. So anyway, that's good stuff there. Hey, um, another thing I'm, I'm squeezing in here uh, that's also related to horror to some extent is uh, The Walking Dead. And I'm a big fan of The Walking Dead. They're in there uh, getting ready to launch their new season, their last season, or finish up this season, rather, getting ready to move into the world of films. And Terry Crews is joining The Walking Dead universe. Uh, I'm a big fan of Terry Crews, just a really great, great actor, really great guy. And it looks like uh, there's going to be another spinoff show to the Walking Dead family, Tales of the Walking Dead. I believe this is going to be an anthology, but uh, Terry Crews is joining the cast uh, um, among renowned actors, Anthony Edwards, 
Parker Posey, mm. Jillian Bell, and Poppy Lou uh, is going to be there as well. So it looks like this is going to be a great uh, another world building show for the uh, Walking Dead. Which I'm I, like, I I'm, love Terry Crews. He's he, he's really a funny guy and uh-huh. uh, you know good actor, good comedic actor <laughs> yeah, actually. And I like so Parker Posey good. as well. Yeah. Parker Posey and Anthony Edwards are going to be great. And so uh, looking forward to expanding that mythology here. Yeah. In some, yeah, go ahead. By the way, I, I, I want to interject here because uh, I, you know, we were talking, we we're talking about movies and TV shows. There, there's a bunch of things I, I uh, watched uh, and yeah. I just want to mention them really quick. Yeah. Go for it. Because it's that time of year with, with you know, we're in award seasons and I, I, I just feel like there, there's a lot of great movies out there. I did see old Henry, which is a Western it's a gritty Western uh, that has a really interesting twist at the end. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well made and uh, the performances are terrific. So that's one. If people have a chance to see it, old, old Henry, I think you'll enjoy. I saw two documentaries, two more documentaries, Al John. Mm-hmm. I saw Attica. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in history, uh, the whole Attica prison uprising back in the 70s is, is a really well done documentary. And it's really kind of shocking some of the stuff that's uh, discussed in there and uncovered. Wow. Uh, and, and the spotlight is put on. Uh, I think um, it was it was actually very riveting. So I recommend if you have a chance to see the documentary Attica do so. I also watched the documentary Brian Wilson, Long Promised Road. Wow. OK. From the Beach Boys. Yeah. And, you know, I got to tell you something. It was a really good in-depth documentary, but it was also sad, Uh, you know, at the same time, you know. And uh, but there's there's interviews with uh, Elton John and Don Waz and, you know, a whole whole bunch of people from the music world. Uh, And, you know, there there's recordings and previous interviews with with uh brian's uh uh, deceased brothers uh carl and dennis uh but you know missing from the whole documentary Mm. is uh mike love is that right yeah very so you know you could without him being there i mean he's thanked in the credits but it was just kind of interesting there was no interview with him or um Mm. any anything other than some you know stage footage and stuff that they were showing interesting interesting yeah yeah i can tell you that i i love the beach boys and brian wilson and i had an opportunity to run sound for him once when i was in anaheim so yeah that was nice guy yeah nice guy who seemed very nice about him several times very nice indeed well you know something i i would highly recommend it i i enjoyed watching it uh brian wilson long promise road i also saw uh cyrano with uh, Peter Dinklage. Right. Uh, we talked and, about him last week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, boy, talk about uh, great acting, uh, yeah. uh, beautiful staging and, you know, cinematography, um, costumes, the whole nine yards. Uh, re- I, I enjoyed it because I really like Peter Dinklage. I think he's a, an excellent uh, actor, one of the great actors of our generation. Uh, yeah, and then, absolutely. And, and then finally, I binged watched eight, the eight episodes of a series on Netflix called The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. First of all, I have like, to give props to the person naming that show because my <laughs> wife and I, like you, are, are, are going through it and we're almost done with it. 
but we just have to clap because that title is epic. <laughs> I just thought it was a hilarious title. It's like the longest title you could could come up with. Yeah, but yeah. the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window on Netflix, uh, I give it a thumbs up. It's a black comedy. There's there's twists and turns when you think you know who the the killer is. It's not that person. And uh, there's there's some really uh, quirky characters. And Kristen Bell is fantastic. If she's listening to our podcast we'd love to have you on as an uh, as a guest yeah we love Kristen bell and uh my <laughs> wife Kristen actually said that Kristen bell would be an appropriate person to cast in the the story of her life so uh i think that's great very quirky and she's yeah. great and i think it's also funny she's playing a character named anna so also uh, another interesting disney uh, sly reference there yeah to frozen yeah yeah very interesting absolutely um, there you go I, I, there was one more show um I did see that. Oh, and I also have been watching the A&E documentary on Janet Jackson, which was also very Oh, eye-opening. yeah, that, that just dropped last week, didn't yep, it? Yep, yep. So yeah. uh, I think I've got another episode left of that to watch. So this interesting stuff landing here. Uh, speaking of interesting, uh, this is a little bit more on the controversial tip. I don't think you can turn on your, uh, your computer, hit your browser, and not see anything that happens to do with Whoopi Goldberg these days. And she has uh, recently been suspended over the view for some hurtful Holocaust comments. Um, and it looks like she's been suspended from the view for a couple of weeks. Um, a cautionary tale, perhaps of, of, uh, uh, you know, honestly, I, I, again, once again, I think this is something that was handled very poorly. You know, I, I think she stood corrected. I don't think that the comments and I, I, I watched the clip. Mm-hmm. I don't think the comments she made were, um, uh, vicious. I don't want to say vicious, but they, the, the comments she made weren't, uh, intentionally hurtful. You know, she wasn't being nasty about it. She, she was stating something and she was wrong and she was, she stood corrected by, uh, you know, a lot of comments that came in after the fact and she came out right away and apologized. Mm-hmm. And I give her credit for that. She, she realized she was wrong. She realized she made a mistake. She apologized apologized for it. Uh, and uh, you know, all I can say is, um, you know, we're, we're in a world now where if somebody makes a, you know, um, a legitimate mistake, you know, because they didn't know, you know, because they, they just believed one thing and didn't really have all the information. It's sort of like, they stood corrected. They apologize. You know, come on, let's move on. You yeah. know, did they really have to suspend her for two weeks? That That's like, you know, send, sending the kid to the principal's office. You know right. what I mean? Right. Well, let's make no mistake about it. I don't think her follow-up interview with, with Colbert did her any favors either. But I didn't see that. Yeah. So, I don't so know. it didn't do her any favors either. But once again, I think it's really important that people be sensitive. We can't be overly sensitive, but I think it's important to know that when you are wrong, yes, apologize and, and and let's have a conversation about why you I think this day and age, I think, is so important for people to have a lot of empathy toward other people and understand their point of view before jumping to any kind of conclusions, one yeah. or the other. But let's let's have a conversation about these things. That's how we grow as a society, as a people. 
right? No, and I, and I, I absolutely agree with you. But you know, again, uh, this is this is one of those unfortunate things in, in you know in, in our current world of outrage. You know, uh, people can't you know make mistakes without being crucified for them. So. This is true. This is true. Well, empathy will go a long way, people. And yeah. how about this? Uh, I I have a lot of memories about Bob Wall a name that a lot of people don't know of, but Dave, you sent me this note, martial arts expert who fought Bruce Lee in films dies at the age of 82 known for way of the dragon, enter the dragon game of death. And he collaborated with Chuck Norris. I was, a, I, I'm also a big uh, karate Kung Fu movie film, martial arts film buff. And so Bob Wall, one of the amazing talents and, and stuntmen uh, of his time, Dave, uh, you know, unfortunately passes away. Yeah. And, and you know, this is uh, um, uh, interesting from the standpoint that there there's a push in Hollywood uh, to try and get a, uh, a stunt person, uh, ca- uh, you know, uh, uh, category, uh, if you would, uh, for the Academy Awards. And, and I think there's a push to do a branch uh, uh, for stunt, stunt people, uh, which seems, you know, to me, uh, it's about time. You know, the, the, there isn't an action picture or superhero movie that doesn't use an army of stunt people. And, and some of the stunts are incredible. I mean, aren't we always being amazed uh, by the work that, that the stunt community does uh, in, in not only uh, films, but now in television series. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and so I think that, I think they do deserve to have a branch in the uh, motion picture Academy and also recognition at the awards. 100%. You know, the music Academy, um, the Grammys, uh, oftentimes will award, you know, great production and mixing and, and things of that nature. And people from special effects like yourself, Dave, and animation are celebrated for the art they put into their projects. And I think it's only right to celebrate these great stunt people uh, who put their lives on the line for the art. And it, it is an art. And it's also a, a tremendous skill. So anyway, um, my hat's off. Uh, Bob Wall, I remember him squaring off against um, uh, Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon. And it's just what an amazing talent. He and Gene LaBelle, especially those uh, those type of people there. The Machado brothers uh, are, are legends in the industry. So if you look mm-hmm. up if you look up people like that, um, Bob Wall, you will be missed. So what a great talent. Another great talent who's also uh, made a huge impact on my life as the irreverent uh, DJ um, and head of the class actor Howard Hessman. Uh, He passed away too. uh, Dr. Johnny Fever on WKRP, one of my favorite all-time characters on TV and two-time Emmy nominee, uh, also passed away at the age of 81. He was he was a terrific actor. I I always enjoyed his performances in whatever he was in. Uh, you know, he he oftentimes played sort of the uh, the the hippie, yeah. the, the the old hippie guy. You know, uh, and uh, you know he was terrific as Johnny Fever in WKRP in Cincinnati. It was a great show, um, and uh, he leaves behind I think a, a very impressive body of work. 
Indeed. I, I remember I've seen every episode of WKRP in Cincinnati. I've seen every episode of Head of the Class in the four seasons that he was on it. He was definitely someone that uh, I respected as an actor, but definitely someone who brought a lot of laughter into people's lives every week. He was on TV, so he certainly will be missed. Please look him up if you can. Howard Hessman, uh, Dr. Johnny Fever, the legend, dies at 81. And now, Dave, uh, looks like we're ready for our special guest, part two. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, here we are. We're back once again with part two of our conversation with the great John Pomeroy. John, welcome back to the Skull Rock Podcast. Well, great to be back. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Elgin. Well, you know, uh, we ended our last episode uh, with uh, the Bluth Studio essentially jetting off to Ireland uh, to uh, basically complete the Land Before Time. So let's pick up there, because what was that like for you uh, to sort of pick up and fly to a foreign country? It was scary and frightening. I mean, uh, and it's funny because, you know... um, I always thought that some of our films seemed to mirror what we were going through in our in our real life. It's like uh, we had just completed a movie about an immigrant Russian mouse family moving to a different country during the time uh, of the completion of the Statue of Liberty. Well, what were we doing but leaving our home and going to Ireland? And mixing in and understanding that culture. Uh, it was very exciting, but uh, very nail-biting too. I mean, we got it, we, we were treated very well. I mean, we all had our little uh, places that we, that the Irish government put us up um, and we, uh, we had a wonderful facility. You remember it, of course, because you I, were- I do. I, just so for our audience to know, uh, I actually left Disney briefly and went to Ireland and yep. worked on Land Before Time before coming back to Disney to do Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So I was actually at, at the uh, Phoenix House, which was the four-story building right off of Phoenix Park, right on the River Liffey, yes. down the down the river from the Guinness Brewing Factory. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, and I was there for, I think, a nine, nine or 10 months. And Nancy was actually there longer than I was because I brought Nancy over and there was an opening for a markup supervisor. So actually, Nancy was a, a, a supervisor level person on the film and I wasn't. She has a better credit, but it's the only film, John, that Nancy and I both have a screen credit on. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was, I mean, you, you can remember what it was like. I mean, it was, um, the challenge was trying to impart all the information that we knew about feature animation to artists and writers and people who, who were starting at, at the bottom rung. And um, it, w- it was challenging. And, but I mean, we made friendships, we got to know the people and, uh, it, there was a, this terrific fusion of these different cultures that came together. And uh, it, the result was there's a lot of productions, animation productions that you'll see being done all over the world that have Irish film credits to a lot of Irish names. Yeah. And they, and they trace back to that adventure with Sullivan Blue Studios in Ireland. And the, I, I think the only production that was going on as far as animation outside of us was 
I think um, Jimmy Morikami had a small studio facility there in Dublin to do commercial animation. That's right. That yeah. But, but the whole point of, uh, of uh, the Sullivan Blue Studios going to Ireland uh, was not only to reduce costs, but it was also that the, uh, you were training local Irish artists yes. in yes. an industry. Uh, and, and, and as you said, that, that has spawned a lot of really talented uh, Irish animators. Yeah, the uh, the government was extremely kind and grateful that we were there. I remember uh, the prime minister came to our ribbon cutting ceremony at our studio. I mean, there was a great deal of hoopla and celebration about this American company now coming to Dublin. And uh, artists now who were graduating from Trinity College or whatever college can now look forward to, you know, basically diploma in hand with portfolio in hand and come in and find a job here at uh, Sullivan Blue Studios right on Cunningham Road. And yeah, we and I, started out, I mean, we started out with, there were 60 people, Dave, that came, I think, from the United States. It was a combination of American and Canadian trainers mm-hmm. that came there. And what started out as maybe a small nucleus of about 80 to 100 people grew to about, you know, 400 mm-hmm. Uh uh, it was an amazing place. I mean, it was, uh, it was very exciting. It was an amazing experience, I think, too. I mean, when I look back, I, I, I thought that for me, when Nancy and I went over there, it, it was just a great experience of meeting people from uh, different countries, yeah. uh, working in a different country, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but you guys had a run from Land Before Time. You did All Dogs Go to Heaven. You did oh, Dragon's yeah. Lair 2, Time Warp. You did Rock a doodle you did thumberlina uh, a troll in central park and the last film i believe at that studio was it the pebble and the penguin pebble and the penguin yeah yeah you know when you're running a studio that big and this is where all of our experience in don's garage was starting to pay off i mean we had a lot of irish businessmen who were helping us with budgets and how to overlap productions but you you get very uh immersed with you know the running of a of a large company yeah um and how to make it financially financially feasible to to make a profit to keep everyone employed to keep a steady flow of material going through the productions and it was it was huge yeah. i mean it's it's you know it it the model it looks like the model that what Disney had going for it during the eighties and their gold, their Renaissance where you have, um, you know, one production that as we were finishing up on the last six months of land before time, we were already ramping up and starting into full production on all dogs go to heaven. And as that was winding down, we already had production going on on Rockadoodle and some development already happening on troll in central park, Thumbelina and, and Pebble and the Penguin. So yeah. all of this stuff, I mean, <laughs> going on, I, I can't even remember half of the, of the activity that was going on at that time. But I know, I mean, we had several animators. We had animators coming in from Greece. I remember one animator, Nassos Vakalis, who was part of our team. There was uh, Turkish animators, animators from Spain, Fernando Moro, 
uh, Canadian animators and lots of Canadian talent, as well as the Irish, some French and Italian. I mean, our studio was like, it was like the UN. We were like the world in a microcosm because of where we were located. We were talent from all over the world yeah. to work there. Yeah. And, and uh, what happened? I mean, it kind of ended after Pebble and the Penguin because you yeah. came back. You came you, you, now. Did you leave while while things were still going on in Ireland and decide to come back to uh, work on Pocahontas in 1995? Well, what happened was in '88, um, the original 60 animators and artists who went there to train. They wanted to return back home. They'd say initially back in 86, when they agreed to come to Ireland, they said, well, we'll give two years, and but, but we'd like to return back home. And so we said, fine. Well, that time had arrived, you know, uh, at the start of 1988, some of them were making plans to return back to California or all points in the United States. Mm. So we had to set up a splinter studio in California or else we would lose that talent to competing studios. Sure. And so I came back, Cammie and I came back in August of 88 to help run that studio. Uh, we had a, a small facility that we called West Olive that was located um, in Burbank, right off of Van Owen. And uh, we were there while we were working on um, Troll and Central Park, Thumbelina, uh, and all those productions right up until the end uh, or at the midway point with Pample and the Penguin. But uh, coming back after we settled and we were running that Splinter Studio, um, I began to notice myself kind of stale. Mm. And it was like everything that I was accusing Disney of 10 years prior to when we left, I was actually feeling myself firsthand. <laughs> we, we had gotten into, I, I thought we were, I was particularly in a production rut. I had... Uh, I felt stale as far as my storytelling ability, my writing, my animation. I was wearing the producer's hat and solving a lot of production problems, but not being able to do what I love to do, which was animate. Sure. And so, and, 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 that, and that to me is very understandable. I mean, I, 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 I would sit there and look at that and, and say with the pressures of running a studio and trying to feed the machine constantly yep. so that, that yeah, and, and that's what you have to do. You have to constantly have stuff in development that's going to, you know, be the next project or the project after the next project and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, and so you're almost on a treadmill. You're, you're, you're kind yeah. of running. Absolutely. And I and I can totally agree with you on on feeling as if you you were sort of in a rut. Yeah, I was facing major burnout by 1990, 91 and 92. I was burnt out. I really had nothing new to give. And it really I thought it showed up in the productions. Mm. I thought there uh, it, uh, you know, a picture like Troll in Central Park. There's a, a fan base for that. But it does. It doesn't. It's it's um, it doesn't have the same luster and magic as say a secret of Nim or an American mm -hmm. tale. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we were having business problems back then. We were merging with other companies in, in Belgium and, 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 and Holland. Uh, and I think we were, we were kind of in this miasma where, you know, things just weren't going as well and secure business wise for our studio. Uh, there were points in 1991 where it's like you were wondering if payroll was going to be able to be met, you know, yeah. at this 
point. Um, so I, you know, me personally, I, I came to an impasse uh, late in 92. Uh, I, I think the crew had not been paid for a couple of weeks and uh, we, we were facing, you know, uh, you know a, a business crisis with our studio. Mm. And I decided maybe it's time for me to leave. So, and that's what I did in November of 92. I, um, <laughs> uh, ever since we came back as a splinter group, one of my old friends is Don Hahn. <laughs> and Don would occasionally check in with me to see, hey, you want to get together with Unch? Would you be interested in coming back? So, and Don can be very persuasive, can he? He can, and I love that guy. I, he's, he's, he's such a great friend. I mean, we got we got a long history together, and he was Don's uh, assistant director, I think. Uh, it was on Small One. Yeah. Don Hahn. And, I, I mean, I watched Don Hahn grow from art props to assistant director and then associate producer and then on and on and on to Lion King and sure. and, and great stuff that, he, that he's been uh, aligned with. But um, we got together for lunch. You know what's funny, Dave? We met at Cafe Francais. I think Cafe Francais was transformed into Boston Market. Yes, it was over in Toluca Lake, but right I, on Riverside Drive. <laughs> I remember having lunch with him and two tables away from us was you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know something? I, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. I don't remember that particular moment, but I used to go there on a regular basis. Oh yeah. I mean, I knew the owner of the place. I love that restaurant. I love that restaurant. It was great such a fabulous place. They had great food there. Yeah, they really did. But uh, we kind of, we kind of came to a meeting of the minds there. He knew that I was uh, wiped out and burned out and he thought, hey, you know what? John, what do you think about coming back? And I, by this time, I thought that would be a great idea. I can animate again. Maybe that's just exactly what I need. And so I agreed. And he set up our my meeting with um, Peter Schneider and uh, Tom Schumacher. And uh, we had lunch together. And they told me of the production of Pocahontas. And it would they would love for me to come in and uh you know, be the directing animator in charge of uh, Captain John Smith. And I would once again be working with a dear old friend of mine from the early 70 days, Glenn King. Yeah. And yeah, Glenn, so, Glenn did Pocahontas. You did John yeah. uh, John Smith, yeah. who was voiced by Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, yeah. yeah. And um, so they set up my first meeting with Jeffrey Katzenberg, which was terrific. <laughs> Jeffrey says, so Johnny, you're ready to join the A-team. And I said, you know what, this would be... <laughs> This would be pretty good, Jeff. I think this would be this would work out to my benefit. I get to animate again. I said, sure, I'm on board. Count me in. So I started back. That was November of 1992. And our Cammie and I just she she had our first child out of three. Our our baby daughter Bailey was born three months previous in August. So wow. there was a lot of changes going on in the Pomeroy family and in my life in particular. So it was a good thing. And, and a way, and a weight off your shoulder because, because yeah. you, you went back on the board as a supervising animator and you yeah. were doing what you loved. So I can't imagine, I, I mean, I can imagine that you uh, just like, 
had had a bounce in your step again. I, I mean, I remember seeing you in the hallways and you seemed to be having a grand old time. We had a blast. Uh, Glenn and I had rooms next to each other so we can bounce ideas and share ideas. And we each have huge crews, you know, 14, 15 men crew. Sure. And we were doing all of the uh, scenes of Pocahontas and uh, John Smith. So our days would be filled with just supervising and critiquing and overseeing all of that work. Mm. And then at five o'clock or six o'clock, whenever the day would end, we would begin our own work, start our own. Scene. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but we loved it. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a, a, a labor of love. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 and from Pocahontas, uh, you, you did some, some fantastic work on Fantasia 2000, uh, which is near and dear to my heart because I, I spent uh, quite a number of years working on that movie. Uh, and you, you did the rough animation of the Firebird itself, the Firebird creature. Yeah. Uh, for, an for and, and and Paul and Gaetan Britzy, uh, yeah. the Britzy brothers, uh, directed that sequence. It, that was a really fun sequence to work on. You know what? Uh, Roy Disney called, we were at a screening and he said, That is the crown jewel of the movie. Yes, it, that he, sequence was. He loved that. See, he, he, he was, he was the champion of the entire, of the entire movie. But that sequence, it's interesting. I had a, a prophetic moment when I was about 15, 16 years old. My mother, when I was flushed with working at Disney Studios and, and I was reading the book, The Art of Walt Disney, she had a, an old LP you know, of Rite of Spring that I used to listen to. And I would, I would fantasize what it would have been like to be part of that crew. Mm. And on the flip side of that was Firebird Suite. Wow. So I'm listening to this movie or listening to this music when I was 16 years old, wondering, boy, what would it be to do work on something like that? And years later, it came to pass. Mm. And um, that was one of my hero animators has always been um, Bill Teitla. Bill Teitla was uh, one of the guys that trained the nine old men. Him, Fred Moore and Ham Lusk and Norm Ferguson were kind of the foursome that got Disney feature off the ground and passed on their knowledge to the nine old men. Bill Tyler, one of the things that he animated that I just love was um, the devil, Chernobog, on Night on Bald Mountain in the first um, Fantasia animated feature. And so doing the Firebird was kind of my homage to Bill yeah, Tyler. That That's awesome. And uh, it, everybody picked up on that. I mean, it just got better and better with the animated effects that you and Ted Kiersey did. I mean, it was so impressive by the time it reached the screen in color. I mean, it, it, it just wowed people's socks off. The yeah, moment you know, the sprite touches the cauldron or the hardened crust of the, of the lava cone yeah. and it comes to life, oh, gee whiz. Yeah, yeah. You know, fu funny story. Uh, we had some uh, some color prints pinned on a board uh, over in the effects area uh, uh, while we were working on the uh, Firebird sequence. And you know, we had you know like some of the first color models with the 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 crust on the on the uh, Firebird character and everything. And uh, there was an, uh, a CG artist who was working on the dinosaur movie who stopped and was looking at the board. And I happened to come around the bend. 
And I'm like, ah, that's really cool, isn't it? And she was like, that's all CG. I go, no, it's not. That's all hand drawn. She goes, no, 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 no. that's CG. That has to be CG. You know, <laughs> we had this moment and, and, and until I finally convinced her, no, this was all done by hand. You know, uh, that's how good it was. I thought, you know, it was amazing. And, and uh, that entire sequence uh, maintains that level of brilliance. And uh, it, it's, it's one of the moments in animation for me that it's like, you're proud of the industry that you're in. Yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Because it, 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 it got elevated to such a, a moment where it just took everybody's breath away and it kind of, you, you become almost immortal as a result of that. It's like Judy Garland will always be remembered for wearing the red shoes and seeing somewhere <laughs> over the rainbow. Yeah. She'll never be able to get rid of that. Yeah. It'll always be that attachment, that, that association. Sure. Same with us and, and Firebird. You know, I think, fans, you know, uh, fans years after years that will remember your effects and my animation. I, I mean, you know, it's something. The hey Jude. I, I, I just wanted to say it's the Hey Jude of animation. <laughs> the, the Hey Jude. There I, I, I said, you know, I sat back and I and I'm listening to these awesome stories, and it's like, yeah, you know, this is an amazing scene. We we talk about it every now and again, Dave, if it comes up, but uh, absolutely, I mean, it is. It'll live forever. Uh, it's immortal. It's a great, you know, it's a great piece. Thank you, Aljun. Yeah. Yay! Yay! And, and, and so I, I, I know we're going to get bumped up against time again, but John, uh, after Fantasia 2000, you also did some work on the Tigger movie, uh, oh, which yeah. I, I think everybody yeah. did a little bit of work on the Tigger everybody. movie to I try to get that did. done. Yeah, uh, but, but, movie, yes. Yeah, but you also did Treasure Planet. Uh, and, uh, and then when did you decide, I don't want to live in California anymore? <laughs> well, back up a little bit real quickly. You're, <laughs> okay. missing my, you're missing my magnum opus. Okay. Probably, you know, people ask me, what was your favorite film that you worked, that you worked on? And I, you know, I always default to secret of Nim, but I think my favorite of all movies that I worked on was Atlantis, the lost empire. Okay. Atlantis, I, tell people, lost empire. I tell people it's the closest thing I ever came to an animated self portrait. The character of Milo Thatch, who was, who was voiced by Michael J. Fox that production was amazing. Uh, once again, Don Hahn was producer, Kirk mm -hmm. Wise and Gary Trousdale were directors. Amazing crew. We were on that for two and a half years. Doesn't get any better than that. That to me, that was the high watermark of, yeah. of, of my career. And, and that movie has a huge following. Oh yeah. Huge. Oh, yeah. I mean, and uh, it's, uh, it's got so many great memories attached to it. And I, do tons of posts of uh, some of the scenes of Milo, some of the original pencil tests on Instagram. But I love that movie. That was a great moment. And that led into Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet, working with Ron and John, was fantastic. And then... Uh, and, and, and by the way, another movie, I, I think Treasure Planet uh, kind of got screwed over. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, and I think part of that had to do with the feud between Roy and Michael Eisner at the time. Yeah. Uh, and we won't get into any of that stuff right now, but treasure planet is really a beautifully done movie. Uh, it's, and, it's and, and you know, it kind of got the rug pulled out from underneath it, uh, like a week or two after it was released. And I think, you know, the, the, what was happening there is their, their leadership, Michael Eisner, was more charmed by the fact of CG animation 
with all of these successes that Pixar was having. Yeah. Right around that time and after that, they started dismantling 2D animation potential at the studio yeah. in favor of uh, CG animation. Yeah. And so between 2002, 2003, he was slowly allowing to have the facility in Paris closed, the facility in Orlando closed, and eventually right. 2D animation closed in Burbank. And I became one of the casualties there in 2003, which I think was a good and bad thing. A, uh, a bad thing, I hated leaving Disney Studios. You know, I that was my home for 11 years, and then before that, another seven years. Yeah. But going on into a life of, you know, working at other studios, becoming a freelance artist, and rubbing shoulders with some other non-Disney talent was a wonderful opportunity. Yeah. And uh, I, I was, uh, my last week there was, I think, October of 2003. I immediately got on the phone with Jeffrey Katzenberg and he put me in to work on Kung Fu Panda. That's wow. Wow. So wow. I was there for about four or five months and then left that to go on to Universal uh, Animation Studio working on Curious George. Curious George, yeah. And then after that with Fox Animation on the Simpsons movie. And then once again, back at Disney working on the Tinkerbell uh, movies. Yeah. Uh, but when did, when did you when did you move out of California? We, that happened, uh, I was starting on uh, the second Tinkerbell movie, and we just, um, the neighborhood that we lived in was gorgeous, Toluca Lake, but the property taxes were upwards of about eleven and $12,000. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy, like, it's crazy. This, yeah, this was like 2006, 2007. Yeah, it's probably double so, that now. <laughs> and we had some dear friends of ours that moved out to uh, Nashville in 2006. And our dearest friends had moved out there in, in 1999. So we had, we had quite a few dear friends that were living out there that we would visit occasionally. Yeah, yeah. And on the last couple of visits, we started looking at property and property values and and home prices and things just kind of aligned and we were able to sell our house in Toluca Lake, bought a beautiful house in Nashville, an area called Franklin, and we moved. So wow. in June of 2007, we relocated from California to Nashville, Tennessee, yeah. and, never, and never looked back. I tell you something, I probably got more work yes. me in Nashville yeah. than I ever did like in the last two or three years in California. Well, I can tell you that I, I certainly hired you because uh, you worked with me on the Wild About Safety, the Timon and Pumbaa <laughs> what Safety a great Smart. Thing. Uh, oh. the two of those films, the uh, uh, Safety Smart Goes Green and Safety Smart In the Water. I uh, love those. And, <laughs> and I and I remember I remember doing calls with you and, 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 and on a regular basis and it was just a lot of fun to me because I I, what I loved about it, John, was being able to work with great talent. Yeah. And it didn't matter where they were in the world. Absolutely. You know? And that was fantastic. Well, and look at now. The world is just one gigantic animation studio. You could yeah. be in Beijing or Buenos Aires or Madrid. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I could see you faster at a Zoom meeting than I would if you were in the uh, office next to me at Disney. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. But you um, know, when, when I got here in Nashville, one of the first, a dear friend of mine, one of the first uh, pieces of freelance work I got was from Tom Bancroft. And uh, Tom Bancroft was working with, um, what's the 
a Christian production company. I oh, up in Chicago it. that did the VeggieTales. Yeah, right? they did the VeggieTales. Well, they were doing a, a little short series called Three Two One Penguins, and I was doing um, I was doing storyboard work on that, along wow. with um, uh, storyboard work on uh, Tinkerbell. Wow. Tinkerbell, uh, second Tinkerbell movie. So the work was following me and it just keep growing and growing. And, you know, ever since then, you know, I've been working as adjunct professor at Lipscomb University here in Nashville for the last six years. And that's where Tom, Tom teaches, right? Tom is. And yeah. uh, Tony Bancroft is going to be joining us uh, sometime in the middle of the year. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, is, he move, is he moving to Nashville? He is moving to Nashville. Wow. <laughs> that, that is amazing. Yeah. But Nashville's becoming a Mecca. It's becoming a Mecca. I guess we're going to have yeah. to do a big meetup now. But you know something? I, I, I'm i just going to race through a couple of titles here. And uh, because, you, you know, you said the work following you, you did Tinkerbell and the Lost Treasure, Tinkerbell yes. and the Great Fairy Rescue, yes. Tom and Jerry and the Wizard of Oz, uh, Planes, Tom and Jerry, the Lost Dragon. Alpha and Omega, Family Vacation, Tom and Jerry, Spy Quest, Tom and Jerry, Back to Oz, Ilana uh, 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 of a Avalor, Avalor. 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 Yes. Uh, the Swan Princess, Princess Tomorrow, Pirate Today. Uh, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But the one that jumps out to me, John, is 2019 credit for Klaus. Yes. Which if people I, I, I want to tell our listeners, if you have not seen Klaus, you are missing out on a beautiful hand drawn movie. Hey. I mean, this is this is a gorgeous, gorgeous film. And I believe it's on Netflix. Am I right? It is. It yeah. is. And, uh, you know, kudos to the producer and director, Sergio Pablos. Uh, out in Spain. Oh yeah. yeah, we got to work with. I mean, he's he's Disney trained too. He was sure. uh, he worked on uh, Treasure Planet and a couple other films. Yeah. Fantastic artist, and uh, yeah, uh, he recruited me right after CTN. I think it was uh, 2018. He said, "How would you like to pick up some footage out of Madrid?" And I said, "Absolutely, would love to." Yeah, yeah. But this is one of those moments, like you were mentioning with Firebird Suite, where someone looks at it and said and swears that it's CG animation. No, and I know. I you know, look, you know, all of the films being made today are using digital technology for you know uh, digital ink and paint and compositing and you know all of the processing you do of the artwork. But the actual animation is, is beautifully hand created, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With all the little nuance and all of that treasured expertise and knowledge that got passed on to us from yeah. the nine old men. Right. And it's wonderful to see that alive and living. As a matter of fact, I think we're going to be seeing kind of a renaissance for 2D animation. There's so much going on. I mean, I worked on uh, Space Jam 2. Right. I, was, I, was, I was just about to say, uh, 2021. We've got, we've, yeah. we've got 2D animation in a, in a brand new Disney production, which is a sequel to Enchanted Disenchanted. Right. What yeah. I'm, I'm working on right now. So it's like... Yeah. Keep coming to these. Well, and, and you know, you see features like Book of Kells and yes. uh, uh, what was the uh, Wolf Walkers uh, yeah. last year. Yeah. Uh, so you know something. I, I I mean, people always, and I'm sure you get the same question. You know, is 2D animation dead? No, 2D animation is never going to be dead because it's yeah. an art form. That's like saying, is painting going to be dead? You know, yeah. it's it, right. it, it's an art form. It goes through its ups and downs, uh, but 
but it's always going to be here. And by the way, you know, I don't know, John, if you've watched some of the uh, animated shorts that are up for consideration for the Academy Awards this year, there's some beautifully hand-drawn shorts. Uh, In fact, I'm going to tell you, one of the ones that's really stood out to me was called Affairs of the Art, which is a Canadian short production, which is just beautifully animated. And it's done in sort of that rough style, almost reminiscent a little bit of uh, Jungle Book, Disney's Jungle Book, where you actually see the construction lines, uh, the rough drawings in there. And I would highly recommend uh, anybody out there, uh, if you get a chance, see uh, Affairs of the Art. Uh, It's a beautiful short, but, you know, 2D is not dead. No, 2D is not dead, definitely. Can I do a plug for my... Uh, now, yes. So I, I want it because we're bumped up here, <laughs> but I did want to get to the fact that there is now a John Pomeroy Academy. Yeah. Tell us about that. Tell yeah. us about that. So I, I think this was uh, an idea that came from uh, between my wife and myself on a trip to uh, London. We got to have, or on our last night there, have dinner with uh, with uh, Dick Zondak. Zondak yeah. Brothers joined us when we were a uh, studio working on American tale, one of our Canadian animators. Uh, yeah. Great, great Irish. Canadian animators. And he pointed out, John, you should get into social media. It's high time. He was just cheering me on. I think the encouragement just bumped my interest in wanting to kind of pass on some of the knowledge. And by this time I'd already served three years as adjunct professor in the animation department over at Lipscomb. And I thought, Teaching, I, I can get behind teaching. I love doing that. And so we began, uh, I started out with building just a, a basic site, uh, johnpomeroy.com. It has a web store and my history and my bio. A lot of people have been uh, visiting it. And that what springboard off of that was Pomeroy Art Academy. And uh, we're getting ready to do a pretty aggressive launch coming up to April or May of this year. We'll have about 40 different lessons, tutorials on almost all aspects of animation production, whether it's story, sketching, layout, how to build an animatic, how to prepare a portfolio to submit to a studio, um, animation, of course, dialogue animation, uh, courses and effects animation. Um, we've got guest instructors who are going to be contributing to the site, and it's it's going to be wonderful. Uh, I think it's a a um, an affordable way. It's an alternative to costs of going into a college and, and getting all this information. It's very affordable. Um, and we're very excited about this. Um, we've got our little, our own little um, characters uh, in the first 15 lessons. It almost harkens back to the old Disneyland show where Walt would be talking and explaining what the new episode of uh, Texas John Slaughter was, and all of a sudden, Donald Duck jumps on his uh, desk and starts a dialogue with with Walt Disney. Yeah. So we have some of our, our my little class of three little cartoon characters that I interface with in the course of the instruction. Ah. But it's it's going to be great. I'm really excited about it. So that, that, that's to, awesome. They can see the first 15 lessons at pomeroyartacademy.com. Okay, and, and and I know Al John's going to put the link into our show notes. So that's pomeroyartacademy.com. Correct. Got it. 
Well, John, I got to tell you, I I kind of feel like I, I I almost feel like we need a third and fourth episode. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say this to you: we're gonna invite you back. Maybe it'll be six or eight months out once the academy is rolling, and we'll check back in with you, and we'll drill into a couple of the uh, shows that we kind of skimmed across. I, I mean, yes, yes. you know, because honestly, with with your career, uh, we we could we could fill up hours and hours. But I'm glad we were able to get two episodes of the Skull Rock podcast uh, with you, and it's so great to see you. I, I mean, honestly, I, I'm. I, I can't wait to be able to see you in person and shake your hand at some point in the future. Maybe it'll be at this coming year CTN. Well, you know what? To tell you the truth, next time we talk, I'll give you a full progress report on the tutorial site. And I would love to have you as guest instructor. Well, I, I mean, I, I'd be I'd be honored, by the way, honored to do that. Uh, so we'll have to talk about that offline. How's that? Absolutely. All right, John. Thank you for being with us on the Skull Rock podcast. And we'll talk to you again soon. It's been a pleasure, guys. Take care. Skull Rock Podcast. To infinity and beyond. Exploring the outer reaches of the Disney galaxy. Oh, wow. You flew magnificently. All right. There you have it. Another one in the canon. Part two of this epic interview. Dave, wow. We could have gone on and and talked a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to have John back because honestly, we, we just skimmed across some of the projects that we really could spend a little bit more time on. And also, I want to I want to spend time talking with him about his John Pomeroy Academy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I think it's so terrific that the technology has gotten to a place now where people all over the world can can tap into a talent like John Pomeroy and learn uh, classic character animation, you know, uh, uh, from from a guy who's a titan in the industry. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. I'd love to hear more stories from him, but I know we'll have some uh, some have him back on the show, and I know we'll have some links here in the show notes so people can check out his academy. It's really cool. Once again, the world is getting smaller, but you can once again just uh, study with the greats. It's a master class, so uh, please be sure to check that out if that is a career you want to get in, or if uh, you want to just learn more, right, and just sharpen your skills a little bit. That'd be great. Um, And here we are wrapping up the show, Dave. It's unbelievable. We have another one in the can and we have so many more. We have, (laughs) we have special effects coming out of nowhere. That's what happens here. (laughs) It's a special time. It's a special time here on the show, but uh, Dave, we've got so many great guests coming up and I encourage everyone to once again, uh, if you stumbled upon this show and, and you're, you're here to the very end, thank you so much. Please support our show. Sub- subscribe to the podcast wherever you find your podcast. Leave us those five-star reviews. Every little bit helps feed the algorithm, if you will. And you can send us those emails. Uh, one of the best things you can do uh, to get involved is just uh, send us those emails. Skullrockpodcast.com, either aljohn at skullrockpodcast.com or dave at skullrockpodcast.com. And hit us up over social as well. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Dave and I are both on LinkedIn as well, if that's what you prefer. You're just listening to us uh, using the Facebook app. Our podcasts appear on there as well, on the mobile app especially. So a lot of ways for you to interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Dave, you've got the final word. 
Well, peace and love to everybody out there in, in Skull Rock Podcast listening land. Uh, the weather is treacherous in many parts of the country, so please be careful, be safe. If you can, stay indoors and listen to our podcast. <laughs> and uh, with that, I would say we will see you right here next week on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel, vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise disney park trip adventures by disney they can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com i'm kristen hetzel vacation planner world traveler disney foodie and theme park fan I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host the Disney List Podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.